Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Flatland Fiction Podcast. My name is Brian Wheeler, and I'm the guy who writes these stories of science fiction, fantasy, and of horror. Today's podcast will feature the second part of the story, Guarded Keepsakes. This is the 16th episode of my podcast, so if you miss any, please feel free to visit my official website at flatlandfiction.com, and there you can find archives of all of the previous episodes we have done on this show. The uh, number of stories is kind of growing. I'm having a lot of fun. I hope I'm getting better, and I hope you're enjoying these stories as well. Um, at the beginning of all my podcasts, I like to encourage people, once again, to visit my website. That's flatlandfiction.com. And to check out my other stories that are posted there. A lot of my other stories are offered free of charge. Um, you'll find them at that website in a PDF file format. So that's a pretty universal format that you can view right on your computer and read. Also on my official website, I have got pages that are devoted to my four larger ebook novels. They are titled Mr. Hancock's Signature which is a spooky tale set in a rural Midwestern community. If you like Stephen King with a little less uh, violence or maybe a little less gore, check that one out. My second ebook that you will find is titled The Sisters Will Dance. That one was inspired by uh, Harry Houdini's biography and the idea of traveling vaudevillian musicians and performers. It's another supernatural story set in the... Uh, kind of like a rural community in the Midwest. Uh, those two books, uh, Mr. Hancock's Signature and The Sisters Will Dance, are kind of companion books. You don't have to read one before the other, but they both occupy the same kind of fictional world. So if you like spooky stories with a little magic, please check those out. I also have two larger ebooks of science fiction. The first of those is called Fallen Stardust. And the second one is called The Light Floats Slowly. So if you're a fan of science fiction, I think you will enjoy those as well. Once more, my official website has sample chapters of those larger ebooks that you can peruse and see if you feel like uh, making a purchase of any of those books through affiliates like Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or Apple iBooks. I'm starting to feel very optimistic that this podcast is helping me attract a little more attention to my writing. And that's really the whole point uh, right now for where I'm at as a writer. I need to start attracting some attention so I can hopefully move closer to getting some of these stories into some more traditional means of print. I know a lot of people out there still really cherish their softcover and hardcover books. And I'm working to get there one day, but it takes a little time. Uh, the fiction market is very saturated. There are just a lot of writers out there, so it's kind of hard to raise above the the crowd of people pursuing this kind of goal. So anytime that you listen to one of my podcasts, anytime you visit my website and read one of the stories that I offer there free of charge, anytime that you might uh, send a letter my way at letters at flatlandfiction.com, or leave a review at any kind of place where you might listen to this podcast or where you might purchase an ebook. All those little things really help me garner the attention that I need to kind of grow into some uh, larger markets that would help me out and that would help my stories and books get in that traditional print format a lot of people really enjoy. Uh, once again, here before I start uh, this story off, I would like to mention that if you're really enjoying these podcasts and you would like to contribute financially to my efforts, 
if you visit my website, I have a button posted on many of those pages which asks for a donation of $1.50. That's a minimum donation that you can give. That is completely a voluntary means of support. Uh, I like to view it like one of those pledge drives that you will see on public television or on public radio. If you listen to all of my podcasts and you read all of my stories, maybe you feel that that's worth $25. That button, that service that I have posted on my website, gives you the freedom and the means to donate that sum. If you listen to 10 of my stories and you feel it's worth a buck, you can do that as well. Whatever funds I'm able to generate through my writings and through my website or through my podcast help me with paying the cost of my uh, hosting service for my website or it helps me kind of purchase a, a new kind of sound editing app to play with with the podcast or just purchase fun things like honestly typewriter ribbons and antique typewriters that I enjoy to use when I write up these stories. And it is a dream one day that I will be able to kind of support myself through my writing. Uh, I've mentioned this before a couple times on some previous podcasts, but I think this writing is what I'm I'm most gifted at, and I would like to continue to be able to find some more time to develop this kind of skill. Anyway, that's enough of kind of like the, uh, the uh, opening house kinds of details I share at the beginning of all my podcasts. So we'll get into the story here for episode 16. This is the second part of the spooky story titled Guarded Keepsakes. Um, here we'll find Jay Logan delving a bit deeper into the Turner estate and finding some more collectibles of even darker and creepier implication. I hope you enjoy this second part of our story, and I hope it's a good one here as we uh, float into the Halloween season. Here it is, episode 16, part 2 of Guarded Keepsakes. Part 2, Guarded Keepsakes. Jay's imagination whirled as he stepped out of the back door onto the acres behind the old Turner home. Piles of steel and rubber tractor tires rose between groves of rusted farm implements to his left. Rusted cars and motorcycles sprouted like ivy upon the grass to his right. A sea of discarded appliances, from washboards perched upon modern clothes dryers to microwave ovens stacked on wooden ice boxes, stretched ahead of him. Jay could see no clear path winding through the Turner's accumulation in any direction. If the Turner stacked their salvaged iron and stainless steel according to any organizational paradigm, Jay failed to recognize it. He smiled. All those piles of aluminum and tin would bring a healthy return on salvage prices alone. And Jay remained confident that treasure rested beneath many of those piles. He knew how aggressively the Turners had bid at the public estate auctions. He knew how carefully the Turners sifted through all the county's trash piles. Those heaps scattered about the Turner acreage had still been growing when Jay started mowing those county roadways 27 years ago. In the near 20 years since the last Turner man died and left Jackie alone upon the homestead, since the heaps had ceased to grow, Jay had stared at that acreage of veritable junkyard as he mowed grass upon his county tractor and imagined what valuables the Turners tried to shroud beneath camper trailers and boat shells. Jay focused on a single outbuilding and made for its walls. Fishing wire snaked around his ankles. Discs from discarded tractor plow scraped his elbow. 
He shimmied between flatbed trailers and crawled beneath a burned-out combine. His progress appeared stymied before Jay wrenched upon the emergency back door on a tireless school bus and inched through the vehicle's box-laden aisle to exit through the front door before, before finding new room for his advance. It was slow progress, but the outbuildings didn't disappoint Jay. An empty cow dairy, dairy brimmed with neon tractor dealership signs and canvas bags advertising corn seed, collectibles which Jay knew always fetched healthy bids at county auctions. Squeezing through the door of an aluminum pulse frame garage, Jay found the inner space brimming with visible gas pumps and unbroken glass petroleana globes. A wooden shed housed vintage posters advertising war bonds. None of the walls he peeked upon were empty. Every building teemed with antiques. Jay stubbornly worked his way deeper into the property, towards the heart of those fields crowded with debris. It would take him months to create a rough catalog of his investment. It might take years to liquidate all the assets. But Jay was confident that 90 grand would be returned many times over. He chided himself for fearing any of his money would be lost. Kelly is not going to believe it, Jay smiled. A picture on my cell phone isn't going to be enough to show her. I have to bring something back to help her see the light. It was the middle of the afternoon by the time Jay worked his way through the piles of rusted relics to find his property center. A round barn rose in the heart of those acres. Much of its or original red paint had peeled and fallen away during many humid and hot summers. Thunderstorms had chipped away most of the roof's shingles, but the outer, circling wall still appeared solid. Jay circled the barn, pushing his way through jutting plastic pipes grimacing as thorns and brambles clawed at his face. He grunted against the latch of the barn's stuck double door. A discarded rod of rebar provided Jay with a sufficient crowbar, and the door's outer hinges popped clear as Jay leveraged against them. Jay cursed when a sheet of corrugated metal popped against the barn's opening provided another obstacle to his progress. Heaving against the sheet of metal, Jay wedged himself into the barn. Industrial machinery and components crowded against each other. Tractors and cars filled whatever space remained, with boxes of tools, filters, and grease guns sitting upon every fender and hood. A thick layer of dust covered everything, rising to choke at Jay's throat as the estate's new owner stepped forward to closer examine his purchase. How is anything in this place still that white? A glimmer from the barn's dim center attracted Jay's attention. He crawled through a shelf unit filled with oil cans and breached an inner circle of open space, a small sanctum free of accumulation. A paraffin lantern sat upon the floor. While dust lay deep around the lantern, not a mote of grime blemished its white lamp. Jay noticed no prints in the dust as he made his way into the center of that barn. No indication of the path any soul might have taken to polish that antique. Yet the glass of that lantern's lamp remained pure and clean, bearing no trace nor patina of the years. Jade knelt in the dust to look more closely at the lantern. An intricate mosaic of glass colored in subtle shades of pearl and grays depicted the myth of Persephone's winter abduction and spring resurrection. 
Small embossed pomegranates adorned the copper ring that joined the lamp to a white ivory base. Something to help Kelly see the light, Jay grinned. It's just the thing I need to bring back home to show her. Just the thing to show Kelly that there's treasure in the middle of all these piles. It looks ready to burn once I get a new wick. This place is a gold mine. Wind drifted through the barn's open spaces. Dust swirled as strong breeze whistled through the scattered piles. Something rattled like wind chimes further ahead in the shadow. Jay's eyes pulled away from the paraffin lamp and squinted into the darkness. Someone grinned back upon Jay Logan. Jay stumbled into a retreat. His frantic movements threw clouds of dust into the air and hampered his search for a path back out of the barn. He went to his knees and crawled between tractors and machinery. He lost his bearing and painfully wedged himself between jutting iron and metal. He was lost and he was stuck. He couldn't think clearly. His heart raced as he panicked. Jay screamed in the shadows and prayed he would not be forgotten, like so many pieces of junk surrounding him. He screamed in hope that Gus would hear him. He didn't know what else to do, so Jay screamed and refused to look back into that shadow, towards that thing which had smiled upon him. The initial surge of adrenaline passed through Jay after several minutes wedged between machinery. Nothing chased him through the dark. Nothing shambled upon his heels. Nothing else but Jay disturbed the thick dust gathered in that barn. Jay gathered his breath and backed himself out of the piles. He collected his thoughts and chided himself for behaving as a child, for letting fear chase him through a barn brimming with sharp implements. He was lucky he had not tripped and injured himself. The Turners were all dead, and Jay couldn't allow the fear of ghosts to send him stumbling into real harm. My God, Jay whispered as breath again filled his lungs. I wonder if Jackie Turner knew what was in the center of this barn. I wonder if she knew what all this junk surrounded. Jay returned to the circular opening where the paraffin lantern remained cleaned and polished where the corpse sat several feet past the lamp. Jay's steps turned heavy as he approached the dried, shrunken body, seated in a wide and tall Victorian parlor chair, that piece of furniture yet another valuable antique gathered upon the Turner lands. Jay wondered how many years had passed since the remains of that deceased man had been left behind and forgotten in that round barn at the center of the Turner estate. Jay was surprised by how much ruin and decay had left behind that man seated in the parlor chair. White, thin wisps of a beard trailed along the bottom jawbone. Thin, paper skin, like old wrapping paper, covered the underlining skeleton. Hands, with bulbous knuckles, clutched at the chair's armrest. The face had tightened in death and locked the thin lips into a twisted, mocking grin in which Jay counted several brown teeth still rooted in the wrinkled gums. Jay swallowed and peered into the empty sockets where eyes once rested, their soft tissue unable to withstand the attack of time and the rodents. You must be a turner. You're not dressed like any poor stranger. Jay dated the body's moth-eaten wardrobe to the turn of the previous century. A black Hamburg hat fell low upon the brow. A navy blue ascot circled the neck and trailed into a vest whose original cream hue was soiled with water stains. 
A charcoal frock coat covered most of the corpse, falling beyond the knees to blend with matching trousers. No matter the stains time pressed upon it, the funeral wardrobe remained impressive. With little care, such garb could be refurbished for value. Cleaned and mended, the dress, once set upon a mannequin, would turn attention to a storefront window. You weren't handsome, no matter your wardrobe, Jay chuckled. Despite the original elegance whispered by the wardrobe, the corpse's old deformity could not be shrouded. The length of the arms appeared far too short, the legs seemed far too long, and the head looked too massive, too tall and too wide to have been supported upon such thin shoulders. Jay imagined the man seated in that chair must have had a difficult time moving when alive in the world for such deformity of scale. He feared to imagine the pain such a shape must have inflicted upon the living. Hey, Jay. Gus's voice shouted through the piles gathered in the barn. You all right, Jay? You in there? Jay shouted back without turning away from the grinning body seated in front of him. I'm in the center. Better look at what I found. Just move real slow through all these machines. Gus cursed and growled as he moved through the tight spaces leading him to the center of that circular barn. He stopped often to consider a machine covered in dust or to pick up strange components while guessing at their old purpose. But, he's, but Gus made his way all the same, and he whistled as he arrived at Jay's back and looked upon the corpse seated upon the Victorian parlor chair. Now, this property certainly has everything. You're going to have to tell the police about this. Jay nodded. It's strange, Gus. This place is just teeming with all these antiques. And then there's this man's corpse in the center of it all. Feels like he's been buried behind all these piles. That's the first body I've ever found, Jay. Another breeze swirled the dust, and Gus looked upwards to see a dozen wind chimes dangling from the barn's beam overhead of the seated corpse. Have you looked closely at these wind chimes? Gus climbed a nearby tractor and pulled down a chime for closer inspection. They're strange pieces. Looks like these chimes are made of bone. I'm not sure, but I think they're finger bones. Jay shuddered. Who would make wind chimes out of finger bones? Maybe not wind chimes at all. Maybe they're alarms. Maybe they're there for a warning. Seems kind of barbaric. Maybe so, Gus grinned. But I bet there's a collector for these kinds of chimes. Yeah, I suppose there's a market for everything. Gus winked. Now you're thinking like a real picker. Jay lifted the paraffin lantern from the ground. I'll contact the authorities first thing in the morning, Gus, but I'm ready to call it a day. I'm going to take this lantern home. Hopefully, it'll help Kelly see the light. Anything catch your eye in the house? Gus's good green eye squinted back at Jay. Mm, nothing in particular. There's just too much stuff to tell. Believe me, you're going to get your 90 grand back of this place. We'll just leave the trailer here so it's waiting for us in the morning. Gus and Jay turned their backs upon the seated corpse and retreated out of the barn without suffering any further scrape or bruise. Working together, they succeeded in trailblazing a new path out of the acres' accumulated debris. Dusk had settled upon the late summer evening by the time Gus's jostling van pulled back upon the county highway leading home. Jay thought his country home looked empty upon arriving at his lane after a day spent sifting through the Turner's piles. He felt an unexpected pang of shame. Why had he collected so little during his lifetime? 
Was it not a waste to allow so much land on his property to set empty? And the time remaining to him, could he fill his estate as completely as the Turners had filled theirs? The paraffin lantern proved just the relic required to help Kelly see the wisdom of Jay's investment. Even Jay's son Anderson took an interest as Jay described all the cars and parts waiting to be put back together again at the Turner manse. Jay went to bed, satisfied that his family was on the verge of a wealthier future. Those dead Turners couldn't take their possessions with them beyond to the grave, and Jay thought his family did the Turners a service by making the most of what had been left behind before ruin and rust ruled the grounds. Ghosts could no longer be collectors. Only the living relished the accumulation of so many things. Jay bolted awake during the darkest moment of the night, during those early hours when a sleeper's dreams most often turn dark. He didn't wake to any noise trespassing in his home. Nothing in the waking world penetrated his slumbering senses to rouse him. Rather, the unsettling sense of danger germinated in his dreamscape, rising until a strand of mumbled words garbled in a language like none he had ever heard shouted in his sleeping ear and took control of his tongue. Unthemness I can ignore, Jay gasped for breath. Sweat broke upon his brow. Kelly jumped awake beside him. Are you all right, Jay? You've had a terrible nightmare. You were shouting something in some terrible language I couldn't understand. Jay rubbed at his aching head. I don't know what I was dreaming. You've had a lot of stress. Kelly reclined back into her pillow. You'll sleep better after tonight. Jay leaned back into his blankets. His ears strained, but he heard nothing. Yet something had changed in his country home. He swore that the home had been darker when he had first closed his eyes for sleep. The night was shrouded by clouds, so that there had been no moonlight nor starlight to seep through the curtains. But Jay perceived a new illumination seeping into his room, a soft light floating down the hall that cast new shadows upon his walls. Jay listened to the dark, hoping to hear Anderson pounding at his computer keyboard, telling him that the light was but the glow of his son's computer monitor. But the house remained silent. Kelly was the light sleeper. If anything looked about the property, any possum trapped in the cellar, any deer nibbling in the tomato garden, Kelly would have heard it in her sleep well before Jay. And she slept soundly at his side, her rising chest betraying no agitation. Yet Jay couldn't find his wife's peace no matter how he tried. That soft illumination floating in the hall intensified in his imagination. That light wouldn't let him sleep. And so Jay stepped out of his bed, determined to locate the source of the interloping light. The light drew Jay down the hall to the stairs. The illumination rose upwards from the kitchen. Cast in the pallor, nothing like the th nothing like that thrown by the downstairs fluorescent lighting. His eyes squinted in the light as he stepped down into the kitchen. All of the switches told him the lights were off. Only the flashing numbers on the microwave's display indicated any electricity hummed in the room. Jay gasped, 
as he saw the paraffin lantern he had brought from the Turner estate burning at the center of the kitchen table. He shook his head. That lantern couldn't have been burning. He had found no fuel in the lantern's base. A wick had not even remained in the lamp to hold a flame. Yet the lantern burned all the same, filling the kitchen with a wavering, pale gray light that floated like smoke upon the walls. The lantern was cold to Jay's touch as he held it closer to his eye. The source of that light, whatever it may have been, threw no heat. Jay looked down to the lamp and saw a strange blue flame dancing within the center of the glass mosaic. A flame held by no wick. A flame that floated within the center of that lantern and fed upon no apparent source of fuel. There's got to be a latch somewhere. Something that I'm missing. Jay returned the lantern to the table and pulled open a cabinet drawer to scavenge for a screwdriver. The lantern had to possess a hidden mechanism, a place for batteries that I had failed to notice. The lantern had to have had a trick. There was no reason for the Harris to stand on his forearms. There was no reason for the sweat to start beating upon his brow. There was no reason for the way his fingers trembled. Kelly, is that you? Jay heard a shambling step. He heard a dragging of feet. Jay held his breath and listened to the footsteps seeping into the kitchen. Perhaps Kelly's knee painfully flared in her sleep to send her downstairs in search of an aspirin. Such occasions were not rare and such times made her gait heavy and stiff. But the shambling steps Jay heard originated outside of the country home. Had Kelly descended the steps on the opposite side of the hall to go through the living room before exiting the front door? Did her dream send her sleepwalking out of the comforts of bed and the security of the house? Jay couldn't remember a time when his wife had walked in her sleep. What is it, Jay? Jay turned to see Kelly take the last step into the kitchen a moment before the large kitchen bay window overlooking the Logan's country lane exploded inward upon the tile. Jay's mind swooned as Kelly screamed. The paraffin lantern's light intensified to glaring brilliance and cast cutting deep shadows upon the terror that shuffled upon the Logan homestead. Angstemist Athene and Norcon's lit omph. Jay's thoughts shuddered and stammered to a stop as a bulbous hand with swollen knuckles stretched through the broken window. It was a dead hand, a hand covered by skin as thin as wrapping paper. Jay recognized that hand, though his mind refused to believe it could have become animate. Angstemist Athene and Norcon's lit omph. Jay found that he could not scream an answer to those terrible words the ghastly trespasser shouted into the kitchen. The words clutched his heart and squeezed chill through the blood. He couldn't move to his wife's side as he heard Kelly collapse onto the kitchen floor. Angstemist Athene and Norcon's lit omph. A second hand pushed through the broken window and held horror within its fingers. Jay backed against his kitchen wall as a paraffin lantern's glow fell upon the horrible orb the thing at the window shoved into the room. Tendrils of nerve and muscle trailed from that orb. Jay turned away from that orb a moment before that hand turned the orb directly upon him. He knew what that hand held a moment before a green pupil dilated in the lantern light before focusing upon Jay Logan. How often had he looked upon that green eye? 
the hand held Gus Holcomb's final good eye. Angstemist acting in Norcon's lit omph. The severed eye glared upon Jay as a face leaned through the broken window, a face that sported two empty black sockets where its own eyes should have resided. Jay shook as he looked upon the black Hamburg hat, the navy blue ascot, the water-stained vest. A golden locket now dangled like an antique pocket watch from the charcoal coat, and something in that ghoul's grin told Jay that Gus had pilfered that piece from the Turner home, that Gus paid a terrible price for his crime. The dead still claimed their possessions, and Jay knew the paraffin lantern's light had summoned the thing in the window in order to be returned home. Angstemist acting in Norcon's lit omph. The words echo and pounded in Jay's mind, stringing together as a calling. The words spoken by the dead summoned the living to action. And before fear swamped his system, before he slipped into terrible nightmare, Jay Logan realized he would be unable to resist the dead's command. Is the demolition finished, Paul? Paul Knox accepted Frank Rayburn's invitation to take a seat in the banker's air-conditioned office. Thankful that his host didn't mind if his dirty denim jeans left rust and dust upon the cushions. It's finished. Paul helped himself to one of the lollipops Mr. Rayburn always kept piled in a dish of carnival glass for the children parents brought into his bank offices. It took all summer to clean that mess, but we finally cleared the property. Don't know if I'd take the job a second time, knowing what I know now. Is everyone all right? I hope your crew hasn't suffered any more injuries. Paul smiled to discover the lollipop inserted to his mouth was a wonderful flavor of strawberry. No one else got hurt since Bryce stepped into that trap on the first day. And he's going to be okay. Doc Henderson did a fine job stitching his scalp back together. Mr. Rayburn sighed. It's a shame that all those dogs had to be put down. You have to work to make a dog that wild and mean. And to think Mr. Logan must have just let those dogs run free to protect all that junk. You think that poor, blinded man we found wandering about all those piles might have trained those dogs? Paul asked. The dogs never chomped down on him. I don't think so. That old man's dementia was so bad he couldn't talk to tell his name. Could only mumble something no one understood. But who knows? I can't begin to guess how that old man may have survived out there. A miracle he didn't get trapped in all those piles as he roamed blindly upon that estate. A miracle he didn't trip into one of those traps Mr. Logan left behind. He must have drank from the rain barrels. Who knows how he found food. I hate to imagine it. Yeah, my crew was real happy when we knocked down the last wall to that Turner home and dropped the last pile into a truck, replied Paul. You've earned all your money, Mr. Rayburn handed Paul a check for his demolition work. Did you put that list together for me? As best as we could. And Paul handed the banker a thick manila folder. We tried not to junk the real valuable antiques. Hope those items help you get some of your money back. I sure appreciate their effort, Paul. The loan of ninety grand to Mr. Logan had cost Mr. Phillips his job. The paranoia, the eccentricity, the temper that manifested in Mr. Logan almost immediately after signing the loan papers forced the bank to move to foreclosure. Mr. Logan's suddenly erratic behavior drove his wife and son away. 
and Kelly refused to explain to any of her friends why she left so suddenly one night, less than a week after Jay purchased the Turner estate, or where she planned to go. Jay vanished a month after Kelly's departure, and the bank never realized a single payment of loan interest or of principal. The loan left the bank with an unsellable home, not with the old resentments of the Turners that still lingered, not after Mr. Logan's disappearance. It left the bank with a property teeming with piles of junk that cost further investment of money and time to clear and catalog for liquidation. They found traps, and they found feral, mean dogs. And most disturbing of all, they found a blinded Mr. Holcomb and a withered corpse. Authorities were then involved, who brought with them further delays. Did you find any trace of Mr. Logan? Paul shook his head. Just the stolen property. You think Mr. Logan stole all this stuff? Paul shrugged. Who else could have done it? Mrs. McAllister's plastic pool liner? Section of Mr. Landry's fencing? The awning to Rick Pierce's bar and grill? Mr. Trout's flatbed trailer? All of it was found on that property. They were all stolen after Mr. Logan vanished. I don't know why Mr. Logan would want to steal those things when so much junk piled all over that estate, but I think he stole all that stuff all the same. I think he just went plain crazy mad. Seems as if so much junk was always meant to cover something, Mr. Rayburn commented. But I thank you again for your efforts, Paul. At least we can start selling some of those valuables now that we've had the property cleared. Mr. Rayburn's curiosity motivated him to cruise the back county roadways at the end of his day. He wanted to drive past the old Turner estate and see how so much land now looked after being cleared and cleaned of so much trash. Dusk had fallen by the time Mr. Rayburn's car crested the hill and came upon the old Turner acres. Mr. Rayburn slowed the vehicle and marveled. Paul's crew had indeed earned their pay. They had hauled all those piles away and they left only the old foundation of the Turner home behind. The land looked reborn and new. Mr. Rayburn sighed in relief. Perhaps the bank would still see more than the original 90 grand investment. Perhaps he would have the opportunity to rehire Mr. Phillips. He thought there were many reasons to be optimistic. Then, Mr. Rayburn saw a swaying pinpoint of pearl-white light out of his driver's side window. He pulled into the remains of the gravel drive to investigate, but the illumination had vanished by the time Mr. Rayburn's car stopped where steps once ascended to the Turner front porch. And where that house had been stood a new pile of junk. Mr. Rayburn angled his car's headlights upon the refuse and shook his head. Already higher than his car stood a pile of empty coffee cans and tea kettles, rubber trash cans and rusty burn barrels broken chairs and cardboard boxes. No matter the demolition, it seemed too much of that old Turner spirit remained on that land which still hungered for so much junk. That brings episode 16 to a conclusion of the Flatland Fiction Podcast. Again, this episode was part two of the story Guarded Keepsakes. Next week, we will come back with another spooky story here during the Halloween season. Once more, think about visiting my official website at flatlandfiction.com and consider sending me a letter. Uh, tell me what you think of my podcast 
at letters at flatlandfiction.com. I hope you had a lot of fun with it. This week I noticed that my precious little girl Kate, who's three and a half years old, was really enjoying my session uh, reading my story. So I thought as a send-off for this uh, episode of the podcast, I would let her sing to you here uh, in a little bit of a tidbit of what was going on in the background as I was trying to record this podcast. Again, anytime you hear Kate singing in the background or if you hear one of my German Shepherd dogs running around the house, I hope you can kind of shrug it off and laugh and I hope that my writing still kind of rises above the little background noises. Anyway, thank you once more for visiting the podcast and giving this story a listen. As I depart, I will leave you with the sounds of my wonderful daughter, Kate, singing in the background.